0: And so there's a powerful message in that, But as I, as I proceeded to my study and preparation of this message, I began to realize that it might be more appropriate to title the message today, The Surprises of the Cross. So I took the liberty of changing it, and I think you'll find that agreeable. This message is about the surprises that God has prepared for us in supernatural ways that can be revealed to us only by the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit. He comes to us as truth, revealing truth and knowledge, giving us understanding and clarity, allowing us to focus on the things that are valuable and important, the things that are eternal. So I want to share with you today one of these surprising secrets that Father God has prepared in the economy that he has developed as his plan for the salvation of every person in the world and for the entire world. There are surprises that declare the death of Jesus on the cross is a supernatural death And that's the primary thing that I want you to grasp from this message this morning. That the death of Jesus on the cross was a supernatural death. Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit will guide our minds, enlighten our hearts, communicate with our spirits. As you enliven your word, as as full of life as it is in the book you have written I ask that it will be that full of life as it comes from my mouth today. Declare your glory and your truth and press it upon us with total understanding so that we can avail ourselves of all the benefits that Jesus died to provide us. And we'll thank you and praise you for it as we ask it of you in his name. Amen. Amen. Crucifixion was the Roman form of capital punishment. We've been through that historically in our country. We've had all kinds of capital punishment. Today there's always more and more questions about capital punishment. There were no questions about it in the Roman world. You did something wrong, and it didn't have to be some heinous act or atrocity that you committed. You did something wrong that they considered to be grievous enough for you to pay for it, with the ultimate cost, and they had no compunction whatsoever about executing and putting to death people who were found in that category. The crucifixion was the primary means of capital punishment used in the Roman Empire. It was as as capital punishment would be today. It was a, an ignominious thing. It was a shameful thing. In fact, according to the Word of God, who knew God, who knew ahead of time that the cross would be the method by which Jesus would die, spoke of "cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree." So it was nothing. It was nothing to, there was nothing to glory about it. There was nothing to be glad about in the cross. If you had a relative who was crucified, there was nothing to rejoice about that. You didn't go telling that. It wasn't a happy occasion, of course. It was, in fact, a shameful thing for people to die on the cross. The people who died beside Jesus were thieves, perhaps beyond thieves, murderers. One on each side of him died by crucifixion at the same time that Jesus was placed on the cross. You know that. So the death of Jesus was a supernatural death. And it's attested to by the fact that when... People saw him hanging on the cross. They knew a lot about him. He had taught openly among them. They had heard him on the uh, on the courtyards of the temple. They had heard him in the synagogues. They had heard him on the dusty streets. They had heard him on the mountainsides. They knew who Jesus was. And many of them knew the claims that he had made. Some of them didn't understand it. But the leaders of the religion of Judaism certainly did understand it. They knew that he was claiming himself to be the Son of God. They knew that he claimed that God, Almighty God, was his personal father. They knew that, and they came against him for that reason and for the fact that because he presented himself as the Son of God, they believed he was in that name usurping authority, which he took as the occasion to break the Sabbath, which caused them to hate him even more. So when Jesus was placed on the cross, people who knew him, and and those who had questions about it saw the sign that Pilate had placed at the top of the cross in three languages, Hebrew, Latin, and Greek. Pilate had written and put it uh, uh, over Jesus' head, This is Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Religious leaders objected to it, but Pilate wouldn't change it. In fact, what Pilate put there was correct. It was exactly accurate. Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. He could have gone further, although he didn't understand it, to be able to do so. He could have said, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of kings. And he would have been right. But here's the king dying on the cross, dying for us. Misunderstood, miscalculated by those who walked around. Because they spoke to him in pejorative terms as he was there hanging on that cross. They said, if you are the Son of God, as you claim to be, as you said you are, as you went around letting everybody know, usurping the glory of our Father for yourself, as you said you were, if you are the Son of God, come down from that cross and we will believe you. But it was a lie. If he had come down from the cross, they wouldn't have believed it. They didn't believe it when he made the lame man walk. They didn't believe it when he made the blind to see. They didn't believe him when he raised the dead. And so they were not going to believe him if he had come down from the cross. They would have held the same opinion that they held while they looked at him dying on the cross. They looked at the sign above his head, and they said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. If you're a king, you can save yourself. Kings have authority. Kings have power. If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself, and we'll believe you. But they wouldn't was nothing he could have done that would have persuaded them to believe in him because he had done everything possible and beyond anything that would necessarily be expected to prove to them who he really was. And he was rejected even by his own. John put it so plaintively. John put it with such sadness in his tone. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. His own people crucified him. Surely it was a Roman system, but they were living under a Roman system. The only way they could carry out a death sentence was by the power of Rome. But they pushed it. They antagonized for it. They insisted on it until finally Pilate acquiesced and allowed Jesus to be scourged and then crucified. So I want to tell you today that this death, this death of Jesus of Nazareth on the cross, this crucifixion those centuries ago, on a skull-shaped hill called Golgotha. All of that, all of that is a death like no other death ever in all the history of this world. And the one thing that rises up above all else to make it different, to make it unique, to make it distinctive, one thing that rises above all else to declare that is Jesus' death was a supernatural death. It was supernatural because he did not have to die. It was a path that Jesus willingly accepted that had been laid out for him by his Father God. And I want to show you some things about his willingness to pay the ultimate price for the sins of the world so that you and I could be saved even though we were yet sinners and enemies of God and strangers of the commonwealth of glory, not walking in the pathway of His salvation, while we were yet sinners, while we were yet enemies of the cross, while we, yet, we were enemies of the Savior, while we were yet sinners, the Bible says, Jesus, Christ Jesus, died for us. That's a supernatural death. So it was like no other death in the world. Jesus died a death like no other man had died. He paid the price. Carried with him the cross of sin to the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, he said several things. In fact, there are seven sayings that Jesus spoke from the cross that are recorded in the four gospels. None of them have all seven of them, but when you put the accounts together, you get all seven things that Jesus said from the cross. The first thing Jesus said was a supernatural expression. The first thing Jesus said as he was crucified, hanging on the cross, was just was this. Looking out above, those who had nailed the nails in his hand, those who had at the Praetorium of Pilate had cried out for his crucifixion, give us Barabbas, crucify Jesus who says he's the Christ. He looked around also all of those, and this was the first thing he said, Father... Forgive them, for they know not what they do. A supernatural death. And then, when the dying thief beside him said, first of all, he joined with his friend on the other side of Jesus and castigated him. Bring us all down from the cross if you're who you say you are. And then he changed. one of the thieves changed his mind. And he said, you know To his friend on the other side, he was able to speak. And he said, we're getting what we deserve, but this man doesn't deserve this. And he looked to Jesus, and he said, Lord, there's a revelation there. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, I will. Today, you want to know where your loved ones are? Somebody asked me that just yesterday. You want to know where your loved ones are? You want to know where those are who died in the Lord? You want to know where those are who in the peace of God and the forgiveness of Jesus lay down, let their life taken away from them, waiting for the resurrection? You want to know where they are? Jesus said to that dying thief, Today you will be with me in paradise. Not tomorrow. Today you will be with me in paradise. Hallelujah. And then he said to John and to his mother, Behold, your mother... Behold your son. After that, the agony of the cross began to weigh heavily upon him. And he cried out. The Bible says he cried with a loud voice. And I want you to get this. This is important. He cried out with a loud voice. And he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, the fullness of the impact that he is sin. Not just carrying sin. Not just has the weight of sin on him. The fullness of the impact that he is sin The most horrible, horrific thing that Jesus could ever experience. He became sin. He was sin in the sight of Father God. He received the punishment of sin because he was sin. He became sin for us. He who knew no sin, Paul wrote, became sin for us. He who knew no sin became sin. He was sin. He became sin. Became sin for us, why that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Hallelujah! That's the miracle of the cross. And then, and then Jesus. After that, to show His humanity, I'm just briefly passing over these things, obviously, but to show His humanity, the next thing Jesus said was, "I thirst." And then, this really comes to the culmination of this stage of the plan of God, this supernatural death of the Savior. Jesus said, It is finished. Just that. With a loud voice, a loud voice he cried out, It is finished. The plan of salvation. The sacrifice that makes the plan of salvation fully effective, the sacrifice has been made. When Jesus spoke, the veil of the temple was in too. Just as he spoke the next words, there was an earthquake that shook the earth. The rocks were rent. Graves were opened. And that was the at the end of another supernatural act. I'm going to come to these in the next points. The reason I'm just kind of passing over them right now. But Jesus, at this point in time, spoke again with a loud voice, crying out, Father! into your hands I commend my spirit. No, it wasn't Rome that took his life. It wasn't Judaism that took his life. Jesus said, I voluntarily, as I have said throughout my ministry, I give up my life at the pleasure of the Father and the will of my Father God. I willingly give up my life. And he said, in these words, no man's taking my life from me. Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. I turn myself over to you, Lord, because I know, Father God, that I can trust you to keep your will and perfect your plan. So then, now I have to back up just a little bit because these things are happening in sequence and, and uh so I'm not dealing with all of them in any kind of detail. I'm just touching on them so you will see. My point is to help you see how the cross is a supernatural event. It's not just a natural thing. Not just somebody grabbed him and took him in. See, this is one thing that I, I'm not negative about the movie The Passion of the Christ. I think it had a big impact did a lot of good. But what it did was it made us think only about his physical suffering. Oh, how horrible his physical suffering was. And it was. But that wasn't the worst thing that he endured. All that blood, all those stripes, all those nails, all that rivet side, that wasn't the worst thing he endured. The worst thing he endured was becoming sin for us. That was the worst thing that happened to him. And that's what made his death supernatural, because nobody else ever born in all the world could have taken that and could have become sin for us. The perfect man, the very God, in absolute every way, man and God, he is taken away the sins of the world by the sacrifice on that cross. No one ever born before or since could have ever done that. Because Jesus' death had to be a supernatural death. Hallelujah. So now, about 9 o'clock in the morning, they crucify Jesus. Then about 12 o'clock, the Bible says, from the 12th hour to the ninth hour, darkness covered the earth. There's no record of an eclipse. At that time in history. There's no substantiation for that. Because it wasn't something that was natural. there's There's never been an eclipse that lasted three hours. Impossible for that to happen. The only way the earth can be covered in darkness for three hours. Is for God to pull a cover over the sun. And take away the light from every reflection. Because in that day, in that three hours. of darkness. And people were amazed by it. This is one of the things that shook the confidence of the Roman centurion who later on said this truly was the Son of God. So the miraculous darkness. You would think that as one of these things happened that these people would have changed their mind and tried to do something to save him, wouldn't you? But that isn't what happens. That's not what Pharaoh did. Moses went to Pharaoh and pronounced all the plagues on him. It didn't matter what happened. From the fleas to the lice to the blood in the water to everything that could happen. didn't matter. Even final, the final plague, even the death of the firstborn of every family in Egypt, they didn't have the blood on the little and the, and the posts of the door. Even those death caused him to say, let them go. But quickly after that changed his mind. Supernatural things didn't stir Pharaoh, nor the Egyptians. Whatever would have happened wouldn't have changed their mind about Jesus. Darkness didn't change their mind. They would be walking around trying to find their way, trying to see how to get somewhere. The only way, if they happened to have a candle that they could come across, it would be hard to find one of those. they didn't already have it. The light of candle would be able to try to see where they're going because they were in total and absolute darkness. Miraculous darkness. Not normal darkness, supernatural darkness. And then at the end of that time, at the end of that that uh, time of darkness, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, when the darkness dissipated and the light returned, then Jesus cried out, it is finished. And then shortly after, Father, and I, in the land, I command my spirit. When he did that, then it's when the veil of the temple was torn into from the top to the bottom. That's when the miraculous earthquake occurred. The Bible says that the earth shook. It had to be shaking, that skull-shaped hill and the cross on it, shaking with it. All the earth around them shook, and the earthquake broke the rocks open, and even opened up the graves of some who had died in the faith. They were called saints in the in the Bible. And with that, those graves were opened, those caskets or the forms that they were buried in were opened for anybody walking by to see it, and there was a reason for that, I'll tell you in a moment. So the graves opened miraculously, and After Jesus rose from the dead, the saints in those graves got up and walked about Jerusalem. I know if you haven't, if you just read this and kind of read over it and didn't pay much attention to it, uh, it's there. It's there. You'll read Matthew. Matthew makes all of this very clear. After Jesus rose from the dead, these saints in those graves got up out of the grave and walked about in Jerusalem was the purpose of that? To show that God can raise the dead. To testify to them everywhere. I don't know what they were saying as they went about visiting their friends who had helped bury them in the past. I don't know what they said to them. But it must have been something like Jesus. Now they had to know him. Jesus and was rose from the dead and he brought us out of the grave with him. This was not a resurrection to glorified body. It wasn't what Jesus became later on as he could pass through walls and Come to his disciples and be anywhere that he chose to appear. They hadn't been given glorified bodies yet. But it was a testimony to what? It was a testimony to the supernatural events that had happened that day on Friday on Calvary at Golgotha's Hill. And that had happened as they waited on Jesus with his body lying in the tomb until on the third day he rose from the dead, walked out, and left the grave clothes laying there. Another one of the supernatural things that testified to his power, the grave cloth that covered his face had been folded. The other grave cloths, he had pushed them aside and up and walked away. But the grave cloth that had covered his face was folded and laid to the side As if carefully prepared so that someone who folded that napkin is coming again. That was the custom. If you weren't coming back, wipe it, throw it aside. If you're coming back to to the table again, fold it up and lay it aside. It will be there when you come back. Jesus who died, Jesus who rose again, that Jesus is coming again. That's the part of the supernatural message of the cross. Hallelujah. I'm going, to cover, I'm going to cover one more thing. I'm going to cover one more thing with you, and then I'm going to. He reluctantly and carefully, and maybe not even truthfully said that I'm going to finish. I, I always love it by example, the Apostle Paul in the third chapter of Philippians. You know, he there was six chapters. In the third chapter, he said, finally, brethren. <laughs> and then he went on. He was only through, But that's not true with me. I'm going to finish. So so here it is. Jesus willingly. Supernaturally. It had to be supernatural. Otherwise, it it wouldn't have meant any difference. And you know, with all due respect to Simon Peter, if he'd been crucified on the cross, it wouldn't mean much to us except we'd have been sorry about it. If James and John had died on the cross, we'd say, oh, I sure hate that. wouldn't mean anything to us today or anybody else that they might have crucified there. It would just have been somebody else dying on the cross. But Jesus was different. Jesus' death was supernatural, showed in every way. I'm going to show it to you, I hope, in one more way this morning that you may not have realized before. I made a statement recently that I don't believe Jesus ever failed in any endeavor he undertook. Jesus never said to a dead person, rise, rise. And they kept laying in the the grave or on the bier. Jesus never said to a lame man, rise and walk. And the lame man just sat there and didn't move. He never said to a blind man, receive your sight. And the person was still blind. When Jesus spoke, his power came into full force. And what he said happened. Jesus never failed in anything he undertook. So when he was carrying the cross on his way to Golgotha, and they paused along the way and took the cross and put it on the shoulders of Simon of Cyrene. And they didn't carry it the rest of the way up to the top of the hill. It wasn't because Jesus fell under the load of the cross. The Bible nowhere says that. You can infer that if you want to. I choose to believe Jesus would have carried that cross all the way if they had put it on the shoulders of Simon. He did not fail in anything he ever set to do. He set his mind to do or anything Father God set him forward to do. He accomplished everything he was put here to do. And he didn't drop his cross. They just helped him some because they probably saw that he was growing weak, and I expect he was. But I will tell you this, in my opinion, I can only prove this by all the things that Jesus did. He didn't ever fail in anything else. Why would I think he failed in carrying the cross? I think he would have carried it all the way to the top of Golgotha if they hadn't put it on Simon's shoulders to help him and carry it with him. And so here's what happened when he got there. They put him on the cross. When he said it is finished, next to the last thing he says on the cross, the Bible says he cried out with a loud voice. At that time of the crucifixion, he'd been on the cross now since about 9 o'clock in the morning. This was at the end of the darkness, about 3 in the afternoon. He'd been hanging on the cross. You would think that he'd be speaking weakly. You would think he'd been saying, Oh, oh it's finished. It's finished. The Bible says he cried out with a loud voice. It is finished. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And then he didn't use all of his energy doing that either. When he spoke the next time and he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. He didn't say that weakly, whispering, trying to get the words out. The Bible says he cried out. At the very end of his life, at the moment of his death, when his spirit is being taken away from his body, he cried out, Father, into your hands, I commend my spirit. They heard him all over the place. And I'll tell you one more reason that makes me know that. And another reason that makes me know that Jesus always succeeded in everything he undertook. He's hanging on that cross. I can see those two thieves hanging on either side of him. They're not quite dead because they have to come and break their legs so that they'll be dead and not pollute the Sabbath that was coming up Friday evening. So those, those, those dying thieves on each side of him were there kind of hanging in the, in the throes of death but hadn't quite died. Jesus wasn't like that. Jesus died after living all the while he was on the cross. Then at that last moment... When he cried out those words, Into your hands I come my spirit, he died just like that at that time. Because he had finished the work. He successfully and victoriously finished the work that Father God sent him to do. And this is another thing. You would think that he'd be hanging on the cross, limp, almost gone, almost at the point of death, and just gradually dying away with his head held up. Bible says when he cried out these words. The Bible says when he said that he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. So he was on the cross but he was on the cross with his head held up lifted up looking around him he was suffering oh yes he was suffering in great, great agony, he was suffering. But now he cries out, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And the Bible says he cried out with a loud voice, as I said. And then it says, and he bowed his head. If his head's already hanging down, he can't even hardly lift it up. He can't bow his head. His head is up. And so when he says, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit, then he bows his head before the Father, and He gives up His Spirit into the hands of Father God, and the plan of God, the sacrifice of the plan, the bloodshedding of the plan, the death of the plan prior to the resurrection is now completed. It's finished. The price has been paid for salvation. The victory for salvation has been secured. It is finished. Hallelujah. And Father, because I'm through with what you sent me to do, I give my Spirit back to you. It is a supernatural death. A supernatural death. He bowed his head and gave up the spirit. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Everything Jesus did, he did by his own determination and his own will and his own decision. This is what Colossians says. Paul wrote to the Colossians. With great depth and power of spiritual understanding, Paul wrote to the Colossians in the first chapter, verses 26 and 27. He said, this message was kept secret for centuries. This message of the cross. This message that the cross is for everybody, Jews and Gentiles. It was kept secret for centuries and generations past. But now, it has been revealed to God's people. What's been revealed to God's people is salvation isn't just for Jews. Salvation is for everybody. Gentiles, heathens black and white, yellow and brown, people of every color, people of every ethnicity, people of
1: of every language, people of every persuasion of every kind in all
0: the world. It's done. It's settled. It's finished. We've accomplished this. Then, he says, this is what God wanted them to know, that the riches and glory of Christ are for everyone. The riches and the glory of Christ are for the Gentiles too, which means everyone. If the Jews could grasp the idea that salvation was available to the Gentiles, everybody wasn't a Jew, so there was a Gentile. So there's, he is saying, the mystery of God isn't contained among the Jewish people. It is for everybody, not just for the Jews. All of you who are Jews by birth need to understand it has been enlarged to encompass Everybody in the world. And he said, and this is the secret. This is the secret. Or to the Jews, the surprise. Here it is. It is this. Christ lives in you. The hope of glory. This is it. This is the revelation of God, Father God. Revealed to us in Jesus Christ in His sacrifice and His resurrection and His ever-living life. That He brings life, that He uses to bring life to us today. This is the secret. This is the surprise that Christ, the hope of glory, lives in you. Hallelujah. So all who believe can have the effect of the cross. All who believe can have the power of the resurrection. All who believe can have everything that Jesus provided in the sacrifice that he paid and in the resurrection that he brought forth from the dead to show that it is true and justifiable and powerful for eternity. And he says, this is the last thing he says in that passage of Colossians. This gives you, this gives you the assurance of sharing his glory. <laughs> so that, my friend, is the message for you and me. What we've preached and heard all this time. what The, the simple message i preached to you this morning is the truth of God about the cross and the resurrection. And this gives you and me the hope, that is the assurance, the confidence, the assurance. This gives us that confident assurance of sharing his glory. Everything that he has done, we are a part of it. And that's the victory the Lord gives to us every day. And today, that's the victory. Please bow your heads with me.